Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. I'm going to play a song that you may also know and love. It was released in 2009. It's by the rapper T.I. And it's called Whatever You Like. I realized recently that this isn't just a seminal song that I remember from college. This is an anthem. And it's an anthem for an entire generation of tequila drinkers. I'm not sure if you ever analyzed the lyrics of this song, but what's happening here is T.I. likes a girl, and he tells her he'll give her whatever she wants. Decks of cash, a private jet, and also Patron on ice. Patron is a top-shelf tequila brand that got popular in the early 2000s. It became a status symbol, like Cristal or Hennessy. Drake sang about Patron. So did Lil Jon... T-Pain, and Rihanna. And what makes this interesting is that, without realizing it, as we were singing along, we were changing the way Americans thought about tequila. Rap music mm-hmm. and Patron, um, I think, is how it all started. I'm talking to Ivy Mix. She's the author of the award-winning cocktail book, Spirits of Latin America. Ivy loves tequila. She owns a bar in New York that specializes in tequila and other Latin American spirits. And Patron became not something that was tequila. It became a brand Mm -hmm. that happened to be tequila that had a lot of status Mm -hmm. attached to it. In the decades before, tequila in America was something you took shots of with salt and lime. Tequila was spring break and wet t-shirt contests and horrible hangovers. But all that changed in the 2000s. Tequila is now the fastest growing drink in America. And these days, we want the good stuff. We're sipping high-end tequila, neat, like an aged lowland scotch. And it's hard to imagine going back. And Ivy is worried about all this hype. Because the demand for tequila in the U.S. has doubled over the past 20 years. And it's causing major problems for Mexico. There just isn't enough tequila to go around. And when you say, what do you, what's it's going to happen? Like, what happens if we keep going the way we do? Do we have tequila shortages? Does agave just become so expensive? That's already a thing. Right. Tequila shortages are already a thing. Yeah. Agave shortages are already a thing. Right. So that's like, like, that's already happening. Right. Then you have only the big, big, big companies being able to produce tequila, which means that tequila itself and its identity is changing mm-hmm. because only a certain number of people are able to solidify the identity of what it is. And so many people are just now learning what it is. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's a dangerous road. It's, a, it's, 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 it's dangerous. Today, Ivy and I talk about it. We're spending the whole episode on agave spirits, and we'll get into how to drink it without harming the place that it's from. 
We're also going to Mexico City to learn how one of the world's best bartenders drinks her tequila. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. I first met Ivy a few months ago when I was reporting a story on this topic for the FT Weekend magazine. Her bar, Leyenda, in Brooklyn, is one of the most respected bars in the city that specializes in Latin American spirits like tequila and mezcal. The bar is also informal and welcoming, and it made me feel like Ivy and her team are doing something right. She's running a business, but she's also traveling back and forth to Latin America, meeting with producers, and really getting to know the spirits she's serving and the people who make them. That includes the farmers and distillers in the Mexican state that's really at the heart of tequila production. It's called Jalisco. Ivy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here. So we are here to talk about tequila. Um, But I think in order to understand what's going on with tequila, we need to kind of start with the basics, which is what it's made from. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me some kind of basic facts about the plant it's made from, what it is, how it grows. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I mean, in everything that we drink, every fermented or distilled product, in their essence, they are an agricultural product. Um, They come from something that is grown. Um, In the case of tequila, it's made out of an agave, um, the maguey plant. Um, Traditionally, in history, blue agaves would just sprinkle the landscape. And now they tend to be cultivated in big, big, long rows that are mostly 95% from the state of Jalisco. And the the plant themselves, they're pretty remarkable. I mean, I always joke that whoever came up with the idea to actually get into an agave (laughs) was a a pretty smart, uh, intelligent person. Uh, Very, very brave. Brave, yes. Scrappy. Because they are... Imagine like a pineapple and an artichoke in one, but huge. And you have these like huge spiky leaves coming off of this plant that are truly sharp. Like if you accidentally like are in a field and want to take a picture and you reverse backwards into an agave plant and it pokes you in the thigh, like it's, it'll break your jeans. Like it's tough. Ivy's talking from experience. Her first encounters with agave were back in the late 2000s. She was young, working at a bar that served tequila and mezcal, and the owners invited her to Mexico to see how it was made. The one thing you should know here is that tequila is just one of the traditional Mexican spirits that are made of agave. Mezcal is another. It's becoming a lot more popular, and it's made in a different region. There's another one called Raicia, one called Bacanora. There are a lot, and they're all made in different places and also from different strains of agave. Tequila strain is called the blue agave. In lots of crops that we eat or drink, you know, in if you're drinking whiskey that is made out of a grain, that grain grew, you can probably have a couple harvests in the summer Mm -hmm. or in a growing season. Grapes or fruit, you know, the trees have to, or vines have to grow for a while, but the fruit itself is a year. Um, Agaves, blue agave in particular, those agaves tend to grow between seven minimum and 15 years on a maximum. So you're not just sitting around and like waiting a year (laughs) or like a few months to get your crop. You're kind of in it for the long haul. So Mm -hmm. the process of tequila is um, 
arduous and extremely long. It is not an efficient spirit. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the craziest thing to me about tequila is like with wine, you just like you you grow the vines and then you can keep reharvesting and reharvesting. And, and with this, it's just like it grows for seven to 10 years and then you cut it and then it dies and then you have to wait for the soil to regenerate and then you do it again. It's a much harder process and mm-hmm. takes a lot of expertise from farmers to even know yeah, how to harvest is, it right. Which has been passed down for hundreds and thousands of years, you know, this cultivation of the agave. Yeah. Do you think that like tequila and agave spirits in general, would you say that they're as complex or more than like whiskey or wine or other spirits? I think so. I mean, okay, I'm biased, right? Because I've spent my whole life dedicated to uh, to these things. But um, yeah, leading question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But the way things taste just because of what they are as an identity. And then there's the way things taste based on where they're grown. So it's a concept called terroir. It's very popular in wine. It's the reason why we think Chardonnay from California tastes different from Chardonnay in France. Terroir and agave, like you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. These things are growing in, you know, in the case of blue agave, like say like 12 years, 10 years, seven years. But like, if you get to some other agaves, you're talking 20 years, sometimes 30 years. It's a lifetime that they're just sucking up identity of the soil where they're from. So the nuance that gets to be within them is super fascinating. Okay, so let me break down how demand got out of control. First came Patron, which was American-owned, and Patron successfully built a whole new market for high-end tequila. This high-end tequila, by the way, uses twice as many agaves as the low-end stuff. Then came a man named George Clooney. He and a friend started a brand called Casamigos that made tequila a different kind of sexy. It was a huge hit. And that interested the big conglomerates. In 2017, Clooney sold Casamigos for a billion dollars to Diageo, the multinational spirits company. And then Patron sold to Bacardi. And then it just went into overdrive. The big conglomerates now own the vast majority of the market, and the smaller producers are getting squeezed. So when you see these celebrity brands, actually most of them are not small brands. They're brands owned by these big conglomerates. So Ivy, as we've sort of mentioned, tequila and mezcal and the whole agave spirit category has changed a lot, at least in the American perception or like sort of the non-Mexican perception. It's now the fastest growing spirit in America. It's supposed to overtake vodka this year as America's best-selling spirit. Oh, my God. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's just so crazy. I mean, yeah, continue, and I will will, uh, will give you my thoughts. (laughs) Great, cannot wait. Um, Well, it's just not sustainable, for starters. This race to make as much tequila as possible to give to the people is cutting so many corners and people are doing so much stuff to try to eke out as much liquid from these plants that in the first place don't want to give you too much liquid. They're stubborn and they're full of fiber. They're spiky. Like they don't want you to get in there. And the people are just like, <laughs> I will get what I want from you. And the result is really bad tequila. Like yeah. <laughs> there's so much, so many brands of tequila out there 
most of it is absolute garbage. And that's unfortunate. That's too bad. (laughs) Yeah. And Ivy, what do you think happened? I mean, it does. I don't I can't believe that Americans just woke up one day and decided like, oh, we've fallen in love with the taste of tequila now. Exactly. It has nothing to do with tequila. It has nothing to do with agave. To me, that's a real tragedy is that tequila has started and agave spirits in general, especially with the influx of celebrity owned brands and all the rest of it, you start to get these products that are much more about being a brand Mm -hmm. than it is about being tequila. Mm -hmm. And that's really great if all you want to do is cash, 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 but Tequila shouldn't be cash, cash, cash. I mean, it, sh- it should be some cash, cash, cash for sure. But mm. this kind of race to produce as many liters as possible. And like people are looking at the, oh my gosh, tequila is going to be the number one selling spirit in the United States. Like let's get in here and like make all the money possible. It's like, don't do it. Yeah. But yeah. Th- like this is not the raw ingredient to do that too. Right. right. Go back to corn. <laughs> Ivy says that these days, most tequila brands buy their plants from farmers on the open market. There are a few small producers that grow their own, but they're lucky. And if you aren't one of them, you're competing with companies that have billions of dollars and can afford to take a hit when the price of agave shoots up. If you're the little guy, you're totally priced out. Plus, the big corporations have a budget for things like marketing and international distributors. And you're like... Marketing is a bunch of money. Marketing costs a lot of money. So like, how is this all happening? And who's not making the money? Who's not making the money probably is the guy, that beginning portion of this long, long path to get into your liquor store and into your home and into your mouth. Those guys in the beginning are most certainly the ones not making the money. Fundamentally, tequila should cost way more than it costs. You know, if if a tequila or a mezcal came from Scotland, we would be paying thousands of dollars a bottle for it, but it doesn't. (laughs) It comes from Mexico. So we think we need to pay less. Mm -hmm. Um, So Ivy, the tequila boom to me feels entirely out of control. I'm curious what you're most worried about environmentally. The landscape of Jalisco in particular is being demolished to plant more blue agaves. There are landslides, there's deforestation, there's all sorts of bad stuff happening. What you get are, I mean, seriously, for as far as the eye can see, all the trees ripped down, all of these agaves put in. They're ruining other agaves that are endemic to you know Jalisco in particular, just ripping them out, throwing them away because blue agave is like that's the right. one that makes the money. That's that's the yeah. gold in that's the gold in the river in California. You know, like it's unfortunate because they're ruining a lot of biodiversity, and not only they're causing danger to to everywhere. I mean, there's serious mudslides, serious stuff happening because there's yeah. nothing keeping the world together. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds very yeah. bleak, but it's it's, it's true. Um, no, totally, Ivy. You know, you're you're um, traveling back and forth to Latin America a lot. I'm curious what you're seeing there. Like, are people in Mexico concerned about agave being overconsumed? Are they happy to see the money coming in? 
Yeah, I mean, yes, because here's the thing. I'm kind of like, it's all doom and gloom and oh no. But like, fact of the matter is, is that it is a huge industry giving a lot of people a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. I happen to think that they're probably not making as much money as they should, but it is a job. Mm -hmm. And it is a lot of money. It's like a lot of money just going in. And this created tourism, it's created like all of this stuff. And, you know, there is good stuff out there. There are people doing really good things. And the same token, I go down and work with some big brands, like big brands. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask them, I'm like, what about this stuff? And everyone is like, it's kind of like global warming. People are like, oh, forget about it. (laughs) It's like, don't engage the angry uncle at Thanksgiving. Just like, don't talk about that guy. And I'm like, what? We got to talk about it. Like the elephant in the room, we got to talk about it because what are you going to do when the stuff literally hits the fan? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Because it's going to happen in one way. There's this too precarious. Right. And too delicate. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm curious. So I'd like to go back to Leanda and what you're doing there, because one thing that really stood out to me is that the bottles behind your bar are not bottles that you'll see everywhere. They're often not bottles that you recognize. Mm -hmm. What criteria are you using to choose like a good, like a tequila that you believe in and why? Yeah. So I would say the bare minimum is to ask, is it 100% blue agave? Mm -hmm. And are there any additives? Mm -hmm. This is very prevalent in the aged tequilas. You know, you get things that are aged and it's not aged. It's just like full of caramel coloring and glycerin. (laughs) Um, Try to make sure there are no additives. And I really think that, and I would love to be proved wrong, but mostly not a hundred percent of the time, but mostly if it's a brand that you see plastered on billboards and everywhere, Mm -hmm. you might want to have a little bit of pause (laughs) (laughs) to figure out how they got that money to do that. Yeah. So shop small, but, and that being said, not all small is great, but like smaller producers usually I think are, more worth their salt. Um, and frequently you see a lot of producers now putting all the information on the back of the bottle. So we'll say the town that's made, the distillery that's made, the guy who made it, and transparency is key because there's yeah. a lot of places yeah. to hide in yeah. tequila. You said to me um, when we spoke for the piece, I said, like, what should we taste for if we weren't taught what to taste for? And you said flavor, tradition, culture, <laughs> and history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that's what you should try. I I truly think that's what you should go for. Because if the consumer isn't demanding the preservation of this really culturally rich spirit, uh, no one's going to do it because it's not profitable. Yeah, yeah. So if we demand it, they'll do it and it tastes better. (laughs) It just does. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Ivy, this is so fascinating um, and always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. So stoked. Now that we've talked about what true tequila is, I want to talk about the right way to drink it. And to do that, I'm going to need a little help. 
Hi everyone, I'm Gina Barbachano from Mexico City. I'm bar manager and co-owner of Hanky Panky in Mexico City. Gina Barbachano is a bartender at a speakeasy in Mexico City called Hanky Panky. It's one of those actually hidden bars behind a secret wall of an old taco shop. And when you go in, it's dark, wood-paneled, red leather booths. It's also beloved. It's rated 13 of the 50 best bars in the world. I was there to speak with Gina because this thing happened when I started learning about agave spirits. I became sort of obsessed. And then my obsession expanded to Mexican culture. So last month, I went to Mexico City with a friend. Gina's an expert specifically in mezcal, but she was first introduced to agave spirits by her family. Yes, of course. I think, like, uh, for me, for example, it was my dad's drink. My dad was, uh, he always, always drink tequila, and he always drink it uh, as it is. Gina drinks tequila and mezcal the traditional way, in a small glass, neat, with no ice. And she sips it, like cognac or bourbon. She recommends you do that, too. Step one, take a sip. I will always recommend you to first sip a little bit to you for you to know like what it is. Step two, take another sip. Then give a second sip because that way your mouth like just got used to this harsh feeling of the beginning. And then uh, in the second one, you will enjoy it a little bit more. Step three, maybe enjoy it with an orange slice or one of those green little tomatoes, the tomatillos, with a little bit of chili and salt. Uh, if you want to eat it with something, eat it afterwards. This way you will see actually the difference and you will see if it's for you or if it's not for you. Gina pours us a tip of Caballito Cerero. It's one of her favorite tequilas and it has a sort of cult following. My friend and I taste it and we taste citrus and pepper. It's 100% agave, no added sugar, but it still tastes kind of sweet. Okay, so what it's delicious and we were both tasting I thought it was a kind of peppery yeah she thought it was kind of sweet kind of sweet yeah yeah for me tequila it's super sweet like to be honest uh, Gina says if you don't like one tequila try another because there are tons of flavor profiles they're citrusy dry spicy earthy but what matters most to her is that you respect the spirit one of my like advices will be don't stay with the one that you didn't like that don't uh, blame or mezcales or all tequilas for one bad experience that you had. Uh, second, uh, respect a lot the spirit. Of course, there are some times that it's fun to have a shot. Like, we do it as well. Like, it's not that it's forbidden or anything like that. But always respect the spirit and he will respect you and he won't kill you the next morning. Ultimately, tequila is just a drink. You may love it, you may not. If you don't, maybe that's better for the blue agave. But if you are going to drink it, treat it like you treat a European spirit. Learn about it. Notice the flavor. Explore spirits like it. Maybe ask a bartender you respect about the tequilas they respect. And finally, consider paying a little bit more for it. Especially now, when there's a lot on the line in the state of Jalisco. I've put links to everything mentioned today in the show notes, including my piece, some agave spirits that Gina and Ivy recommend, and Ivy's book, Spirits of Latin America, which is excellent.
That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. If you're in the U.S., the second annual U.S. FT Weekend Festival is on Saturday, May 20th in Washington, D.C., and the lineup is impressive. It's Salman Rushdie, Jamie Lee Curtis, ta Coates, Alice Waters. There's a special discount link in the show notes, alongside a link to a deal on an FT subscription. I have finagled our listeners one of the best discounts out there. You can get three months of FT Weekend in print every Saturday for 20 bucks or 25 pounds or 30 euro. It all depends on where you live, but it's a great deal. You can use the link in the show notes or go to ft.com slash weekend podcast. Make sure to use that link. Okay, that's almost everything I'm plugging today. Also, we really love hearing from you. You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Rapp. I post a lot of cultural recommendations and questions for you on my Instagram. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my world-class team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Shout out this week to Anakina Patton, my tequila co-conspirator in Mexico City. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll find each other again next week.